Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the key themes that Philip K. Dick is, I won't even say playing around with because he makes it so centrally important for the humans in the android's dream of electric sheep is the gradual breaking down of things. And we can sum it up in a couple different terms. Kipple, a term that he's going to introduce in the mouth of Isidore, the character here, form destroying or entropy. And then something that he calls the tomb world. And I do want to point out at the start, before we go into this too far, that this notion of form destroying, this shows up as well in a maze of death. There's something very much like the tomb world in a Martian time slip. So these are not themes that are totally confined or language totally confined to this story alone. So in post-emigration Earth, that is after this war has taken place and there's radioactive dust everywhere and colonization is happening. Many of the Earth's animals have died off. People are leaving. The Earth is becoming this quite empty place. And the emptiness is something you could say oppressive and also a location where kipple entropy breakdown can happen and even accelerate. And we find this already coming up with Rick Decker's wife, Erin Decker, who is talking about the building. And this is in chapter one. I was sitting here one afternoon, she said, naturally I turned on Buster Friendly and his friendly friends and he was talking out a big news item and that awful commercial came on. So for a minute I shut off the sound and I heard the building, this building, I heard the, she gestured, empty apartments, Rick said. Sometimes he heard them at night when he was supposed to be asleep. And yet for this day and age, a one half occupied CONAP building rate high in the scheme of population density. Out in what had been before the war, the suburbs, one could find buildings entirely empty or so he had heard. And she says, at that moment when I had the TV sound off, I had dialed a 382 mood. So I, I heard the emptiness intellectually, but I didn't feel it. And then she said, I realized how unhealthy it was sensing the absence of life, not just in this building, but everywhere reacting, not reacting acting. Do you see? I guess you don't. That used to be considered a sign of mental illness. They called it absence of appropriate affect. And she experiments with her mood organ until she can find one for despair. So she's sensing, she's hearing something that's not there, namely life, human life, animal life. Isidore in his empty apartment building is going through something quite similar. And we see this happening in chapter two. This is silence. It flashed from the woodwork in the walls. It smote him with an awful total power as if generated by a vast mill. It rose from the floor up out of the tattered gray wall-to-wall carpeting. It unleashed itself from the broken and semi-broken appliances in the kitchen. The dead machines that hadn't worked in all the time Isidore had lived there. From the empty pole lamp in the living room, it oozed 
oozed out, meshing with the empty and wordless descent of itself from the fly-specked ceiling. It managed to emerge from every object within his range of vision as if it, the silence, meant to supplant all things tangible. It assailed not only his ears, but his eyes. And he goes on, he says, he experienced the silence as visible and in its own way alive. He had often felt its austere approach before. When it came, it burst without subtlety, evidently unable to wait. The silence of the world could not rein back its greed. Silence, the void is another word he'll use later on, is waiting there to take us all back into its embrace. It goes on. He wondered then if the others who'd remained on earth experienced the void in this way, or was it peculiar to his own peculiar biological identity, a freak generated by his inept sensory apparatus? Interesting question, Isidore thought, but whom could he compare notes with? He lived alone in this deteriorating, blind building of a thousand uninhabited apartments, which, like its counterparts, fell day by day into greater entropic ruin. Eventually, everything within the building would merge, would be faceless and identical, mere pudding-like kipple piled to the ceiling of each apartment. And after that, the uncared-for building itself would settle into shapelessness, buried under the ubiquity of the dust. By then, naturally, he himself would be dead. Another interesting event to anticipate as he stood here in his stricken living room alone with a lungless, all-penetrating, masterful world silence. So we've got an amazing phenomenological description here of what this silence and what this process of breakdown looks like. You notice he's using the word kipple there, which he'll later define in talking with another entity, as we'll get to in just a moment. And we've got the concept of form destroying going on as well. Everything returning to a formless state. So what is kipple? Well, we find out with a little bit of info dumping, a little bit of expository stuff as Isidore is explaining this to Pris, the android who has made it there. And she is in an, one of the apartments and he's, you know, going into her apartment. He says, we really need to change this. The chairs, the carpet, the table, all had rotted away. They sagged in mutual ruin, victims of the despotic force of time and of abandonment. So he said, listen, if we go over the building, we can probably find you some things that aren't so tattered, a lamp from one apartment, a table from another. And he talks about going in with her to help out how kind of scary and oppressive it is going into apartments by yourself. And then he says, this building, except for my apartment, is completely kippleized. And she says, kippleized? What is that? And he says, kipple is useless objects like junk mail or match folders you use after the last match or gum wrappers or yesterday's homeopape. When nobody's around, kipple reproduces itself. For instance, if you go to bed leaving any kipple around your apartment, when you wake up the next morning, there's twice as much of it. It always gets more and more. The girl regarded him uncertainly, not knowing whether to believe him, not sure if he meant it seriously. There's the first law of kipple, he said. Kipple drives out non-kipple like Gresham's law about bad money. And in these apartments, there's been no one there to fight the kipple. And then he says, this place, the apartment you've picked, is too kippleized to live in. We can roll the kipple factor back. We can do, like I said, raid the other apartments, but, but what? We can't win. 
Why not? The girl stepped into the hall. No one can win against Kipple, he said, except temporarily and maybe in one spot. Like in my apartment, I sort of created a stasis between the pressure of Kipple and non-Kipple for the time being. But eventually I'll die or go away and then the Kipple will again take over. It's a universal principle operating through the universe. The entire universe is moving towards a final state of total absolute Kippleization, except of course for the upward climb of Wilbur Mercer. So if we hear it in these frame, you know, the universal principle, Kipple is entropy, but Kipple is also the manifestation of it in terms of, you know, things like rotting, mildew, breakdown, but also what form these things originally had as human artifacts, as appliances, as furnishings. So there's a very interesting way in which this is taking place. Some other considerations about entropy. Deckard himself, as he is hunting his quarry, the opera singer, and he says to himself, as he's, as he's listening to a, a rehearsal of the magic flute, thinking of this, the magic bells that would make your enemy disappear, and how Mozart was buried in an unmarked pauper's grave, he wondered if Mozart had any intuition that the future did not exist, that he'd also used up his little time. Maybe I have too, Rick thought, as he watched the rehearsal move along. This rehearsal will end, the performance will end, the singers will die, eventually the last score of the music will be destroyed in one way or the other, Finally, the name Mozart will vanish. The dust will have won. If not on this planet, then another. We can evade it for a while. So we're talking again about the process of breakdown, the process of meaning turning into meaninglessness, the process of form turning into formlessness, the process of non-Kipple turning into Kipple. And then he says, as the Andes can evade me and exist a finite stretch longer, but I get them or some other bounty hunter gets them. And then he has a realization. In a way, I'm part of the form-destroying process of entropy. The Rosen Association creates and I unmake, or so it must seem to them. It's a very interesting realization that he is part of the process of destruction, right? He is a form destroyer, right? But he's got form himself and he is doing it in order to preserve human life, at least. Then we have the tomb world. This comes up a little bit earlier in the work, and this is where Isidore is, in fact, engaged in the empathy box and engaging and merging with Wilbur Mercer and, and all the other people. And there's a really interesting discussion of this in chapter two. It says, once it had been different, back before the curse had come, an earlier happy part of life. They, his foster parents, Frank and Cora Mercer, had found him floating on an inflated rubber air rescue raft off the coast of New England. He goes on and he talks about bringing back dead animals as they had been. And then local law prohibited this time reversal faculty. He continued to do it secretly, but an old woman he'd never seen or heard of had told without his parents' consent, they, the killers, had bombarded the unique nodule which had formed in his brain, attacked it with radioactive cobalt. This plunged him into a different world, a world whose existence he had never suspected. This is the tomb world. It had been a pit of corpses and dead bones, and he'd struggled for years to get up from it. The donkey, and especially the toad, the creatures most important to him, had vanished, had become extinct. Only rotting fragments 
An eyeless head here, part of a hand there remained. At last a bird which had come there to die told him where he was. He had sunk down into the tomb world. So this is something that Isidore himself thinks of himself perhaps falling into as we're gonna we're gonna talk about but mercer has lived through this he was trapped in the tomb world and then he could not get out until the bones strewn about him grew back into living creatures or he had become joined to the metabolism of other lives and until they rose he could not either how long that part of the cycle had lasted he did not now know nothing had happened generally so it had been measureless but at last the bones had regained flesh. The empty eye pits had filled up and new eyes had seen. Meanwhile, the restored beaks and mouths had cackled, barked, and caterwauled. Per possibly he'd done it. Perhaps the extrasensory note of his brain had grown back, or perhaps he hadn't accomplished it. Very likely it could have been a natural process. Anyhow, he was no longer sinking. He'd begun to ascend with the others. Long ago, he lost sight of them. He found himself evidently climbing alone, but they were there. They accompanied him. He felt them strangely inside him. So this is the memories of Mercer. Mercer, who's an unusual being, who can resist this entropizing process. And everybody who fuses with him, including John Isidore, a special who is confined to this apartment way out in the middle of nowhere, and who is, in a certain sense, breaking down himself. All of this is part of the process that's going on. Isidore suggests that as he deteriorates further and further in his life, perhaps he is actually falling into the tomb world himself. Maybe this is what happens to all of the so-called specials that like Isidore are not allowed to emigrate and are confined either to very menial jobs or to institutions. There's also a breakdown that happens in Isidore's apartment after the androids kill off the, well, they don't kill the spider. They cut off four of its legs and then try to get it to work. And we see the apartment breaking down into Kipple, right? We hear this, the spider is gone, Mercer's gone. He saw the dust and the ruin of the apartment as it lay spreading out everywhere. He heard the Kipple coming, the final disorder of all forms the absence which would win out. It grew around him as he stood holding the empty ceramic cup. The cupboards of the kitchen creaked and split and he felt the floor beneath his feet give. Reaching out, he touched the wall. His hand broke the surface. Gray particles trickled and hurried down. Fragments of plaster resembling the radioactive dust outside. He seated himself at the table in like rotten hollow tubes. The leg of the chair bent. Standing quickly, he set down the cup and tried to reform the chair. Tried to press it back into its right shape. The chair came apart in his hands. He saw on the table the ceramic cup crack. Webs of fine lines grew like shadows of a vine. Then a chip dropped from the edge of the cup, exposing the rough, unglazed exterior. The androids say, what's he doing? He's breaking everything. Isidore, stop. And he says, I'm not doing it. He walked unsteadily into the living room to be by himself. And he says, everything is old. It has long ago begun to decay and it won't stop. The corpse of the spider has taken over. He starts descending into the tomb world. And he says, it's happening to me again. I'll be down here a long time. As before, it's always long because nothing here ever changes. A point comes when it does not even decay. 
way. But in this case, Mercer saves him. Mercer gives him a spider back, maybe the spider or a different spider. And Mercer helps him out of the tomb world. As he talks to him and says, yes, all this stuff is true. The video footage is really a, a fraud. I was an actor, but that doesn't mean that what's happening metaphysically isn't really going on. And so we do have a way of overcoming this entropy. We might also have other ways too. It's hinted that perhaps love, love between human beings based on empathy is a way of suspending the process of entropy, of form destroying, keeping us out of the tomb world, at least for a while. Now, this is something that the androids don't really seem to be bothered by or even notice or cognize all that much. This is a distinctively human problem within this world of do androids dream of electric sheep? Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.